Hello, hello, hello. This is your girl Dawn M. Williams. You are listening to Research Shows Podcast. And this is my two cents. So we're going to talk today about an entrepreneur. Her name is Kiara Henderson. So I'm reading from lipstickalley.com. Black woman makes over a hundred million dollars in the trucking industry without even owning a driver's license. So there's an Instagram post by Black Success Live Live. Kiara Henderson, an African-American entrepreneur from Dallas, Texas, also known as the trucking guru, has achieved remarkable success in the transportation industry over the past 15 years, despite facing numerous challenges as a single mother without a high school diploma or GED. She has defied gender stereotypes and has established a very successful trucking business. The only reason why I found out about Miss Henderson is because I am a pocket watching with JT fan. Jason Thornton is a financial planner or something like that, certified financial advisor. And every week he exposes somebody who has been scamming, particularly black people, people who target black people. And a lot of times it's us who target us. So Right now, Kiara's business, which right now has been forfeited, anybody who has a business, if you don't pay or file your annual tax records or something like that to the state, they just will forfeit your business. Or if you don't pay the yearly fee. So right now in Maryland, we at approximately $300 every year. You got to pay for your LLC. I have been there with an LLC being forfeited. How do I know that? Because I have been in a position of not having the money and I'm just like, forget that LLC, let it go. But this is different with somebody who claims that they have allegedly made over a hundred million dollars. So I'm going to read from this uh, case file from the um, United States District Court for the Northern District of Texas in Dallas division. So this is rain or shine trucking LLC. And they are the plaintiffs suing the trucking guru LLC, TT logistics, LLC, Kiara Henderson, Frank Leitner, and capital choice trucking. I'll read the first line of this plain plaintiff rain or shine trucking LLC hereby complains of the trucking guru LLC, TTG logistics, LLC, Kiara Henderson, Frank Leitner, and Capital Choice Trucking LLC collectively quote defendants for number one, fraud and fraudulent inducement. Number two, negligent misrepresentation. Number three, breach of contract. Four, unjust enrichment. Five, torturous interference with contract as follows. So from my understanding, she had a lot of different complaints, not just from this lady in particular. She sells courses that are supposed to help people get into the trucking industry or understand the trucking industry or what have you. I will say this. I have made a post on my personal uh, Instagram or um, TikTok, Facebook, all that. This lady needs a PR person. Because for me to see her very first appearance on J Pocket Watching with JT, it was totally emotional. She was irrational. She did not look up to par. Like if you're a business person and you know you're about to be viewed by thousands of people, you cannot come on alive on purpose looking like that. That was wild. And the fact that nobody stopped her, she doesn't have a team to stop her, speaks volumes of her money. 
also I want to mention before I get into this, I don't want to come from a placement of judging Miss Henderson because we're in a country where ethics are up and down. Case in point, this whole Palestine issue is a hot mess. It's stuff that I tell people, they just be stuck like, oh, I didn't know. For example, they had no idea. You could just Google it on YouTube. Ron Paul said literally at a congressional hearing that the United States and Israel created Hamas. This is Ron Paul from 2009 at a Senate hearing. Thank you, Madam Speaker. I'd like to yield two minutes to the gentleman. So much blowback from our intervention in areas that we shouldn't be involved in. You know, Hamas, if you look at the history, you'll find out that Hamas was encouraged and really started by Israel because they wanted Hamas to counteract Yasser Arafat. And you say, well, yeah, that was better then and served its purpose, but we didn't want Hamas to do this. So then we as Americans say, well, we have such a good system, we're going to impose this on the world. We're going to invade Iraq and teach people how to be Democrats. We want free elections. So we encourage the Palestinians to have a free election. They do, and they elect Hamas. So we first indirectly and directly through Israel help establish Hamas. Then we have election. Then Hamas becomes dominant, so we have to kill them. You know, it, it just doesn't make sense. During, during the 80s, uh, you know, we were allied with Osama bin Laden. And uh, we were contending with the Soviets. It was at that time our CAA thought it was good if we radicalized the Muslim world. So we financed the Madrasa schools to radicalize the Muslims in order to compete with the, with the Soviets. There's too much blowback. There's a lot of reasons why we should oppose this resolution. It is not in the interest of the United States. It's not in the interest of Israel either. The, the enemy that they claim that they're targeting while they're literally committing genocide over there in Palestine. I, I had a client just yesterday tell me, oh, no, no, no. The, the Israelis gave them Gaza. I, I had to explain to her the Balfour Declaration. She had no idea. I had to explain to her how these are not the same Orthodox Jews who have been there for years, you know, that are descendants from the original Arabs and all that. These are the European Jews that were mass immigrated after the Balfour Declaration, which was basically Great Britain asked the Arabs to help help them fight, and then they reneged on it. Once they reneged, they gave the country right over to the European Jews, like an underhanded double dealing type thing. So this is not just exclusive to Palestine. And let, let me play this clip while I'm sitting here talking about Palestine. This is an Israeli man who literally stole American is American Jewish man who stole the house out from a Muslim family and the wife or the lady is saying you stole my house. Let me play this clip right here. You are stealing my house. And if I don't steal it, someone else is going to steal it. No, no one, no one is allowed to steal it. So this my, this my point. This isn't exclusive to that area. This has happened in Germany. There was a whole Holocaust prior to the Jewish Holocaust where they exterminated a whole group of black people. I'm just finding out about Miramar, Miramar. I know I mispronounced that, where they just totally did a, a genocide of Muslims, Asian uh, Muslims, where they've had to immigrate to Bangladesh and all these different areas, escaping from 
Buddhist oppressors. This has happened in the Congo right now, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And that stems back to King Leopold. You know, so let's not pretend as though, not just the United States, let's not pretend as though we live in this quote-unquote moral world. Who sets the standard? I'm serious. Who sets the standard of morality? You sitting here probably in your house on land that was Indian territory that was taken and they pushed in people to the middle of the country in the United States of America and said, this ain't, this ain't your country no more. This is ours. Totally tricked them on the paperwork, these different treaties. They did the same thing to all, all just, I think just about all the countries in Africa, except for Ethiopia. Who sets the standard for morality? So for somebody who has a wild imagination, clearly like Miss Henderson, where do we start and where do we end? So she's coming in like, well, shoot, this whole thing is just running game. I'm just doing whatever I got to do. I got to do whatever I got to do. That's the American way, right? Let's not pretend as though Joe Biden didn't just renege on, he said he seen Hamas, he seen the babies beheaded and all that. Then totally, they did a total retraction under the table. Like it's hard for me to find it on an algorithm now. And I took my screenshots, but I'm just saying, they just totally is just blatantly lying and then doing retractions, knowing that people is going off the lies. You see what I'm saying? So that's one side of it. Who sets the standard? The other side of this that's absurd is the fact that this is black people doing it to black people. Yeah, I'm bringing race into this because I think it's more despicable when it's your own community. And the thing about JT, pocket watching with JT, he highlights what's happening to the black community and people was upset, myself included, because I kept saying, why is he only like highlighting black criminals? Like he don't do like hardly no white ones, but he had to explain how people are able to give, get away with scamming is because you feel more comfortable with your own community. He said, if you look in different communities, a Jewish community, Spanish community, white community, whatever, People are scammed by their own people because you feel more comfortable with your own people. So for Miss Henderson to be portraying as if she got it like that and they were showing she had multiple evictions like three years in a row and she just just straight up into now, even though the stuff is public record. It's absurd. She living this lifestyle acting like she have a lot of money, which a lot of us do. It's not just her. How many people I have met that got bins and can't even put gas in the freaking bins, can't even pay for the registration for the bins, can't even pay for the oil change on the bins, but you just want to have a perception of looking like you got it like that. Meanwhile, they got a whole gambling problem, you know, behind closed doors. It's a lot of people living like this. That's why it's like I, I'm not necessarily standing in judgment of Kira, but at the same time, I do think it's absolutely despicable to know that you are scamming people to this degree and just have the audacity and arrogance to get on that uh, live and sound like that. It's like you just you're doing yourself a disservice and everybody else. The last thing I want to touch on is the fantasy of that JT spoke on when he was had to explain to this lady that if you bring in a million dollars, a hundred million dollars, or, or if you bring in a million dollars a year and then you're spending $1.5 million a year, you're broke. And she could not understand this. And I find that amazing how people don't understand that. They think that the perception of 
riches is 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 just as good as if you have riches that's that's just not true that's kind of like people who buy off their friends and you think that's your friend that's not your friend the case in point mc hammer with situations like that as soon as he had no money everybody gone and this whole pretend lifestyle we've accepted that as reality and people buy onto that you know and i think that um this is disgraceful so that's about it with this before we we're gonna take a commercial break and then i'm gonna get straight into a previous guest that we had on the show uh at least probably uh, last year uh carlin bryant he's an educator and an author so just stay tuned we're gonna take a commercial break and we'll get right into his interview a clip from episode 161 of research shows podcast how long ago was that when did you start the bb show two years ago oh wow so you was nine mm-hmm. yes ma'am this is i'm just so inspired <laughs> oh my goodness okay so all right so tell everybody how is it being a social media influencer how is that experience for you it's actually been so amazing because I like to, you know, inspire people, especially at a young age that I am. And I want to inspire like kids that's my age or younger and also like some adults as well so they can inspire their kids to, you know, I wouldn't say be like me, but be like, like, like positivity, like have positivity and, you know, be positive, not like don't be negative. That is so wonderful. Entrepreneur Thursdays with Research Shows Podcast. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back from that commercial break. We're going to change it up a little bit this season where I'm just going to be playing previous episodes of entrepreneurs that I've interviewed in past seasons. So right now we're about to listen to an interview for Colin Bryant. So how are you doing today? Uh, I'm all right. Actually, I just came from the school. We just, I just got out my work day for teaching and we just finished football practice. So. Excellent. Excellent. And I have to ask, how long you been an educator? Uh, this is year 10. Well, year 10 as a teacher, I started as a school aide, so helping in the ESC classroom. So I did that for two years first. So I guess it'd be 12 years total education. Wow, like most of my te- most of my clients are teachers. Oh, I'm yeah. I'm I'm a hairdresser by trade, and most of my clients like are teachers. I don't know why I attract these teachers. <laughs> so oh. <laughs> it's something about me, but I just they send their teacher friends, and I'm just like I I get so many teachers that sit in my chair. So I know yeah, y'all yeah, y'all yeah, are to be admired. Thank you for service for them. Thank you for serving them. Then because <laughs> look, thank. You. Look, thank y'all for being a service. All the, oh my goodness, goodness! What grade do you teach? Uh, this year I have a mixture of ninth through twelfth. I've, I've taught anywhere from six to twelve. Now I do tell you this: I've worked at the school programs when I was younger, and that's when I decided I don't think I can teach younger kids. So I got I started six on up. So this year is interesting. Yeah. All right, so let's get into this. So regarding your develop regarding the development of black Americans, does your um coaching seek to address it? Uh yes. Well, one thing for sure, and it's interesting because I work in a we'll say majority majority white county, and 
the idea of them just seeing me because the school I work at literally is probably three black male teachers there out mm -hmm. of a total of maybe 70. So just like uh, my presence in a sense kind of helps because it gives those kids like it's easy to see like, okay, it's somebody who looks like me in front of me. And it might not be many of them, but if somebody looks like me in front of them. So that kind of gives them an idea of develop. Like I can be more than what the normal stereotypes is. I can be more than just an athlete or entertainer. Like it's more out there. So just me being there. And of course, I'll be honest. I mean, I don't want to think that I don't talk to all students, but I talk to all students about it because I tell them one of the main things with my players and the students is we all got to live in this world. So part of the reason that certain people I will say certainly sometimes white people don't understand because they don't know. So we right. have, to have the conversation and we just have the conversation on, on reality and what life is really looks like. Um, I got to get outside of this bubble of thinking like it's just all perfect and people don't live different lives like it's hard. So just bring that to attention and just my presence, I think, plays a role in it, to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's uh, really essential. I was just talking about this with another, um, somebody else who was a guest, that um, to have black men as teachers, I believe is essential because you know our children spend more time at school than they do at home. And especially boys, they have a tendency, I have two boys, they have a tendency mm -hmm. to listen to men more so than a woman. You know, it's something about a woman's voice It's like, oh my God, oh, I wish you just shut up. You know what I'm saying? But when a man speak, I think it's necessary. You know, that bonding is necessary for them to have that at school. And you know, you're like a safe space, I'm sure, for a lot of young men. Yes. And I, yeah. that, and I think that's why another reason why I love my job and that makes it easier to come back. Because I mean, we all know it. everybody's not going to like going to work every day. But knowing that i have a responsibility and even it's just that small thing if i just get one to realize that makes it so much better and kind of keeps me going back and forth so it does definitely give especially like you said black boys because i mean this is my personal opinion and i hope i don't step on anybody's toes with it but it's only so much that a woman can teach a man to do like it's because i mean the boy's going to think you you have an idea but you're not exactly in my shoes and be honest with you i think it's the other way around it's only so much that a, a guy can give a female who's trying to uh, raise or raising a female because you never exactly in their shoes. You might have some similarities, but you're not going to be exactly in the shoes have been there before and kind of be the see through their eyes. So I think that's why I definitely think it's important to have not only black males, but black women also just so that basically, like I said, a safe space. They need that. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's absolutely. It's like you just need to see it, especially if you said you're in the majority um, white County that, yeah. um, is necessary. Your presence is necessary. 100%. Cause, um, I'm in a majority white County where I live. So I understand. So, um, how has America's attitude towards, uh, people of color have changed throughout its history? Okay. So, and I'll get to a little bit later with the book, but that's basically the book kind of goes into that. Oh, wait, wait, T tell everybody name your book first. So we clear. <laughs> So the name of the book is Black America, The Transformation of Social, Economic, and Political Black America Since Reconstruction. Mm -hmm. so it kind of basically shows how, in a sense, it shows that there has been some strides. There definitely been strides. We're not in the exact same spot. But the book also goes and shows like there's still a ways to go. And when we look at actually bring up like when we say America's attitude, it's almost like, in my opinion, 
America gives us a little bit and say you should be happy with that, but it's like they move the, the finish line either farther, farther back. Like, I'll feed you mm -hmm. a little bit, but I'm going to keep pulling it back. So, mm -hmm. for instance, okay, I'm allow you, I'm allow you to start voting and everything else, but my media presence or actually teaching you exactly what you need to know, well, that's not going to happen. But I allow you to get the education, but I'm not really going to give you the tools you need. Like one of the mm -hmm. things I talk about in the book is, and it's ironic because I had this uh, debate a few days ago, with uh, a student and their parents said that segregation hurt us worse than it helped. And I, and when we had, to, I had a conversation with a student, I told them that their parent definitely has a point. Because I mean, you can say, yes, we'll allow you guys to have education, we'll allow you to read and write, but if you're not gonna give me the tools I need to get that done, then are you really giving me the aid? So it's kind of like, on paper, I'm gonna say, and this was like American attitude on paper. I'm going to say we're making strides, which we are, but we make it seem like it's almost equal, but it's still such a huge gap. It is. I agree 100%. I didn't start seeing that until I moved from an all black county. I grew up in all black county in Maryland, actually, the richest uh, black county in America is called PG County, Maryland. And then I ended up moving our way um, for more affordable housing when we bought our house and it was a whole different world so i didn't understand what black men went through and my father never shared it with me i guess to protect me and neither did my husband but when i saw what my two children was going through in school to where one of the children is was in advanced placement classes and they were just using so many distractions to be ensure you know making him think that he was not advanced you know what I'm saying? And not, you know, acing all the standardized testing and he could just sit and just blink and pass stuff that most people, you know, would struggle with. And I was like, oh, my God. So at, because of that, that opened up the conversation with my dad and my husband where they start talking about what they were going through at work. You know, because I think I think it happens so often, even with traffic pullovers and all different kind of stuff that it it really I think y'all don't talk about it like that. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, um, I think for me to see it, it was necessary. And I'm glad that I did have boys. But, you know, I think we, uh, the whole nation didn't start seeing all this stuff until we got this influx of stuff on social media to where oh. it's like, oh, my God, that's what they go through. Yes. <laughs> like, Now they everybody has a camera to record, and that uh, I mean, literally at the t uh, drop of a dime, you just pull out your pocket, and everybody knows, and you can put it out there. And yeah, because yeah, but with black males, and this is the thing also, and I'm I'm going to say black males, but I think this males in general, but especially black males is if you are expected to be that strong presence when things are going wrong, it's like, and this is a flaw, and I think a lot of black males, me included. We choose not to express our feelings because we feel like we have to be so tough. We got to be strong. And that kills us inside. I mean, be honest, I'm just getting to the point now where I'm actually opening up more. And I wish that somebody would explain that to me when I was younger. Like, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to talk about it. It's okay to talk to another male about it, to express what's going on. But we just yeah. so we got to be this tough guy and we got to be strong for the family that we don't think about ourselves and our own basically emotional and mental health. And yeah. Also. And that's a man thing too, because it's not exclusively the African American community. Because I, I know that white men do this as well in, in all different communities where it's like men don't talk like how women do. Like we just talk like nothing about our problems. But my dad, the way he held everything in until right before he passed, 
I was amazed. Like, Daddy, you never talked to nobody about this? He like, no. Like, the only people he confided in was his mom up to a certain extent and then me at the end of his life. So I was like, how can you live your life? Like, he had a lot of anger because he just didn't talk about what's wrong. So, you know, yeah, you're right. It, it, I think that it, he, he said because it exhibits weakness, it, it seems like you're being weak if you talk about stuff. And I'm like, but you sitting there, your whole soul is ate up because you're not talking. Exactly. Like, you don't got to talk to a therapist, but, you know, you got to tell somebody. <laughs> that's one of the main reasons now, like, and that's another I feel like my, I mean, I mean, I feel like a lot of people's jobs are important, but I feel like my job is even more important, especially dealing with younger kids. Like, sometimes I tell them, hey, man, let's talk. How you feeling? Don't be afraid. And part of that helps them open up is also me opening up. So I had, and just a little bit about my about myself, about five, well, it's been five years now. Five years ago, I had, I was going, literally that year, I was getting ready to propose to my girlfriend and she ended up passing away with Lucas. And like me being able to open up and tell them, hey, I told him. Sometimes I still cry. I, I struggle, yeah. but it's okay. Cause I mean, I'm gonna get up, I'm gonna get, figure out my problems. I'm gonna cry, talk to somebody get up and face the next day but it's okay to explain how you feel it's, it's fine i'm not saying you got to go tell everybody your business but it's okay like you said find that one or two people so we try to i try to have like groups i don't have to put them in big groups but it's just hey how you feeling today like oh i'm all right no seriously how you feeling today what's going on like let it out and i express how i'm feeling so we kind of it's easy to share when both sides are sharing because one person just think oh you just want me to tell your business but if both sides are being vulnerable, which is one of the main things with males, because again, you think that's a sign of weakness. But when you guys are able to be a little bit vulnerable and express how you feel, it's going to help in the long run. And again, this is something I'm learning that I'm not perfect at, but I'm just learning now at 34. So I can understand. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So um, do you feel like all um, citizens are in America, and I'm sorry, all citizens in America are treated equal? Do you feel that way? Uh, no. <laughs> well, let me, let me this. yeah, let me give you a, a simple, simple way why I say it's not. And sometimes people don't look at it this way, but uh, I actually mentioned in the book, if we look at government, right, the government and we break it down even more. If we look at Congress, Congress at this point is about and it might have got a little bit better, but let's just throw a number close to it. It's literally 75 to 80 percent white males. Mm -hmm. There is no way you can run a country when the people that are coming up with the laws is not equal. So, for example, if it's not diverse in the people that's making the laws, how is the land going to be diverse? Because mm -hmm. I mean, if they're cause, if it's mostly, and you're only going to be able, to, you're going to make laws based on what you experience. That's what's supposed to make America so great is we have mm -hmm. this other pot. We get everybody's opinion, but if it's not equally when we go to voting, if eighty percent is still one way, then it's impossible to be equal. And mm -hmm. when I say that, I'm not just talking about being black males. I mean, get more females involved either. Because how how am I going to make a law based on a female point of view if I'm not a female or if there are not enough females to give it? Same thing. How am I going to give a law based on an African-American's point of view or Asian-American point of view if it's not equally represented in people that's making law? Right. So I think it's impossible for all citizens to be treated equal if we just look at the, the lawmakers. If lawmakers not equally distribute with the different diversity, then the land is not going to be because they're only going to be able to give it. And you're only going to really be able to give it from your point of view. You can try, but you don't live through, you don't look at their eyes. You don't see the stuff they have to do. You don't see the world through their eyes. So it makes it difficult. If we were, true, then it'd be split up a little equal, in my opinion. 
Yeah, and then also, I think it makes a difference who your circles are because if you, even if you are like, let's say, um, one particular race and you have a diverse circle around you, I think that makes a difference too. Sometimes people hang out with only who are just like them. You know, y'all go to the same church, y'all go to the same, y'all hang at the same places and all that. But, you know, if you have different people give you different perspectives of things, you know what I'm saying? Like me, um, I just hear a lot of different points of view where I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't even think of stuff that way. You know what I'm saying? But everybody's not open like that, you know? So, and then also it depends on who's going to vote for what too. Cause I've, you know, some, some of us black folks will vote them same white people back in office and not understanding what you just said. Oh yeah. Not at all. And it's just, yeah. it's told like one of the main things now, and I'm not, I don't want to get too deep into politics, but the main thing now is most black folks think they're supposed to vote Democrat. It doesn't matter who's running. Just know it's a Democrat. We're supposed to vote for the Democrat. And like, and the thing is, Sadly, me growing up, I didn't realize it until I went to school and went to college and learned a little bit more. But that was the same thing I thought when I was growing up. Oh, we're Democrats because that's what my mom said we were. Because it's right, you could vote with Democrats. But at the same time, these are the same people that are putting in all these different laws. I mean, and I kind of mentioned this in the book when we talk about Bill Clinton. Everybody's like, Bill Clinton was the first black president, but Bill Clinton also put in a bunch of laws and three strike rules. Yep, people in jail for long periods of time. Yeah, yes, people don't know that. And um, he was explaining one of that one of the Netflix documentaries and like, you know, saying, what would you have done? You don't understand because he was saying the same black people were saying you got to do something about crime. And he called himself doing something about it with the three strike law. But people don't understand what that is. You thinking it's my husband had to explain it to me. It's not what people think it is, where it's like this, you know, three strikes in your route. It's like like, you know, how when you got. You know how when you got like a criminal, um, like something happens, right? And then it's like, um, you know how they, they try to charge you with like 10 different things at once? Exactly. So it, it counts as where it's like, oh, this person had three different charges they were charged with at one particular time. So, you know, I think that that's essential that people understand that that's serious because the prosecutor has to have like 10, 15 different charges to try to see which one sticks. And it kind of ties the judge's hands in regards to um, the uh, criminal justice system. And then about you saying you weren't trying to get political, teaching is political. <laughs> so, so it's like, it, it, I, I didn't find that out till you know where I'm located here um, in my county. So, okay, so how has the use of entertainment and sports affected development of African Americans socially, economically, and po politically in your points of view? Okay, so also, I mean, of course, I'm a so it attracted me this way because I'm a coach, right? Most African Americans throughout history have either became let's say rich or economically stable, the most ones have usually been through some form of entertainment or sports. Now, don't get me wrong, you've had people that goes outside of the realm and found a way to build up without, but most of the time it comes to that, right? So the main thing I like to look at, again, since I'm a sports type person is, we have this debate a lot with the coaches is, usually when we compare, so we might compare athletes from eras, right? So if an athlete is from, it's like a rule, if an athlete dominated in like the 1960s compared to an athlete dominated in like the 1990s, we say, well, you got to put an asterisk by it because, again, African-Americans weren't like flirt. They weren't allowed to play these top top schools and everything else, like most of them were the HBCUs. So when we go forward from that, when these PWIs start letting in 
black black people because of the athletes you got to think about it well i want my athlete to be comfortable so now that my athlete is comfortable i need to have people around him so then i my black enrollment needs to go up so now my black enrollment at pwi start going up so these athletes feel comfortable to come here instead of keep going to hbcus so now you get more money i need them to be comfortable so now that's going to bring the enrollment of black people at pwi so now you got black people at pwis when they get these degrees which is going to allow them to get better jobs because sadly a lot of places if you see a pwi compared to hbcu they think that education is different they think that peter and sadly black people think there's also they feel like that pwi education is better so then when we get that so now you got more black people getting looked at better socially because they're going to pwis and again most of the time they're going is because athletes are going there because like if we pick like duke all the big schools of basketball football whatever sport you want to pick they're going to bring in these black athletes, which means that's going to bring in more black fans, more black enrollment at the school, because of course they want that black athlete to feel comfortable. So now that we got more education, socially we look better in society's eyes, because now we got you're going to a PWI compared to HBCU. Economically, it's going to be better because now you're getting more money. And then of course, politically, when you go to these certain programs, that's how you get into these certain political offices, so to speak. So I think like and not like i said that's with sports same thing with entertainment you get more money when you get these artists have more money so to speak hopefully what usually will happen is they would reach out and help other black people put in so if we talk about going to offering it to hbcus let's go back to hbcus we're offering like for example p diddy puts money into howard we put it in there so now that's going to build up more black people coming to school now, if you got a degree, you get a better job. So now I'm more economically stable. And then again, some of those people move towards politics. But seeing that this society has used sports entertainment as like the Black American Mecca, because most people, and I work with kids, well, I'm willing to bet almost every time I talk to a kid, it's going to be, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to be an entertainer when we talk about black, black kids. Like that's what they see has been put in their face media wise. So now that idea has been molded into younger black kids, not all, but most black kids. So now that's what you're aiming towards. So we're not aimed towards that. And if again, if that sports thing or that entertainment thing goes to a scholarship to put you in a certain school, then that's going to bring more people around, which is going to bring up your economic. And then, of course, it brings off to political acts. Okay, so I'm going to ask one more question. Mm -hmm. um, what type of strategies do you use to implement critical thinking skills to your, um, I said clients, but I guess the um, the young people that you coach? So uh, basically, I put them, in, put them in situations. I do not give them, a lot of times I tell them, don't come to me until you've tried all, every alleyway and you can't figure it out. I want them to know that I'm still there, but I want you to try to figure out. Another thing I love to do is, the main thing I usually hear from kids is, especially with school, well, what do we go to school for? All right. Well, one is going to teach you some critical thinking. Now, if we talk about the basic, if we even talk about basic math, math works as you start algebra one, algebra two, whatever you want to put it in. They start from the basic things. So you start with building concepts. If you can build concepts to build one off the other, that is a basic critical thinking skill that you're going to use. So, for example, you get in real life, right? You start building up stuff. You got to know that basic concept. I got to know the basics. And then I put one on top of the other and I go to the next step. I know the next step. That's basically how you're going to get through life. You got to come up with a plan. You come up with a plan and you literally got to critically think your way through it. Am I going to do this or how am I going to do it? How am I going to make adjustments? So you have to figure it out. And you got to really think about it. Another thing I love with critical thinking is 
I tell my kids, before you make any decision, take a time and look at the consequences. Are there going to be good consequences or bad consequences? Think your way through it. What, what should I do? What's going to be the best move? We are in a time now where most schools try to just go and straight tell people what to do. And that's like one of the things I hate. Like, I'm not just going to give you the answer. I'm not going to tell you this, this, and that. Not just so you can pass and get a high school diploma. I can send you out there with a high school diploma, but if you can't think critically, you're going to fall on your face anyway. And that's a problem. So teach them basically just to think through problems and not always give them the answer. Make comparisons. How? And I ask them, all right, this is the lesson. I'm a history teacher. We're looking at something that happened in 1950. Yes, it happened in 1950. It's not so important when it happened. It's what did those people do in response to what happened. So the same thing. If you find yourself in a tough situation, think back. How do they think through their problem? You can use some of those similar concepts to think through your problems. So it's just the main thing. So with my students is basically being able to compare how the things you learned in my classroom are going to, you're going to be able to use in life. Now, of course, we got to talk to it. I got to give them examples to compare it. But when I give them examples, then they start thinking on their own. So I kind of got to model it out for them. But basically, just simple. How can you pair these, compare these simple concepts that I'm teaching in school? How can you use them in real life? Okay, excellent. All right, so before we close out, tell everybody again the name of your book and where can they find it? Okay, it is Black America, Transformation of Social, Economic, and Political Black America Since Reconstruction. Uh, you can find it on actually Perfect Time. And I just got the website up, so you can use PayPal. You can get it at CoachBryant22.com. Again, that's CoachBryant22.com. Uh, and also, if you go on my social media, so it can be uh, Coach Bryant on Instagram. It's Coach Bryant on Twitter. And on Facebook, it's Carlin Dub Deuce Bryant. And if you just simply inbox me, I can give me an address. I can ship it to you that way. I have Cash App and Zelle. But the easiest way would probably be getting off the website at CoachBryant22.com. Excellent. And thank you so much for coming on. I meant to say that. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. All right. So before we close out, don't forget, everybody, you can catch this episode and more at the research departments.com with an S, the research department with S.com. And we are on most streaming platforms. If you want to be a guest collaborator or anything like that, just go straight there. And we can also get this podcast on our app. That's under I am Don Williams. Don't forget, we have uh, Thursdays, uh, 4 p.m. Eastern with the entrepreneurs daily. It's my two cents at 12 p.m. Eastern. And then Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern is the morning show with the morning crew. So everybody have a wonderful day on purpose.